This is Fully Vested, a weekly-ish podcast where Jason Rowley and Graham Peck discuss technology and venture capital investing. This week, we discuss the burning question, what is and is not a startup? The show was recorded on July 27th. You can learn more at fullyvested.co. You know, Graham, we... um. On this podcast, we what do we what do we what do we talk about? We talk about uh, startups. We talk about venture capital. We venture talk about capital financing, innovation. Occasionally, we randomly talk about something else like uh, the economy as a whole. Yeah, obviously, even our podcast uh, was unable to stay under a rock quite long enough to avoid uh, to avoid the COVID uh, COVID crisis. Yeah, but you know, here's a here's a a thing that's been a question that's been haunting me since the inception of this podcast, and and really, Graham, quite frankly, for my entire career, is uh, is the following: um, Do we actually know what we're talking about here? And in this context, I guess the question, the canonical question for this episode is: uh, What 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 exactly is a startup? Yeah. Um, well, I hope we know what we're talking about, although I would guess there's a mounting body of evidence uh, that we don't. But yeah, that 30, is a very 30 some good, odd episodes, you know, we've, that, we've thrown that, on that, the pile. That's right. that's right. And I guess arguably maybe we should have started with this episode. Yeah. Well, yes. And you know what we should actually start this episode with is probably some introductions. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought we were going to talk about, you know, fidget toys or your sous vide steak. But, you know, so so for everybody out there listening, we always have these fun discussions where Jason and I just hang out as friends. And for those of you who listen more than this episode, uh, obviously, you'll know that normally we just jump you right in the middle of some theoretically witty banter about something else. But I guess we're skipping that part entirely today. I was just telling Jason before we started recording that I got this new fidget toy and I like playing with it. I can't play with it during the episode because it makes too much noise. But anyway. well, and then and then likewise, um, Graham and I, dear listener, we have secretly plotted to make this. We've conspired to make this the shortest episode of Fully Vested yet, and uh, we're already failing. Well, but it should be an easy question, right? No, it is. And, and I feel like, and Graham, I feel we, like we there's a way to. to I feel like there's a way. We will introduce ourselves, but I do feel like there's a way to short circuit the whole thing. But I don't want to say that until the end. And I think I, I think you know what I'm thinking. I, I don't hope you know, know what, what you're thinking. thinking. Oh, that's scary. Did you get new glasses? I did get. new <laughs> Sorry, Graham, this we are doing a bad job of making this short. Radio. <clears throat> yeah. So for anybody who's interested. Uh, I've recently purchased a brand new pair of glasses from uh, uh, what is it, uh, Warby Parker. I got the uh, Butler model, uh, the M two thirty eights. In case anybody's interested, they are tortoise shell sort of round glasses that are flecked with little blue splotches of plastic or acrylic or whatever the heck the frame is made of. And Graham, guess what? For the first time in my life. These I bought glasses that have a blue light filter Ooh, on them, so everything looks ever so slightly yellow. But it also makes using a computer, which I do for a living, uh, so so much more pleasant. 
Yeah, I would say at the end of most days, my eyes are quite tired. Like sometimes they just kind of like stop working. I mean, not totally, but like they're like, yeah, when looking at a screen, stuff just does not appear clear. By oh, yeah, no, like, like your eyes go kind of like weird and cross-eyed. You're like, oh, wow, I yes. have to actually like pay attention to make sure that the... Uh, I like really focus to look at something yeah. on a screen. Yeah, and you got to like, <clears throat> kind of go all anyway. like bug-eyed, kind of like in a cartoon type setting. Yes, that's what I feel like I look like most days. It's not <laughs> even even at like uh, 10, 10 in the morning, or or are you saving are you saving the uh, the the bug eyed hotness for uh, like eleven eleven thirty at night? Uh, probably more like the second of those times, but I guess it also uh, depends on other factors. Hmm. Uh, Graham, I'll I'll start. <laughs> Let's dive in. <laughs> Okay, now well, that we've eliminated all of our listeners by yeah. this point, let's yeah. dive in. Yeah. So, Jason, who the heck are you? That, you hey, know, you know, you've got Graham, some, you've got some new stuff too. I do. In your in your intro, I do. I, I think do. That's, I do. Okay. So, uh, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Jason Rowley. Uh, I am currently the U.S. content lead for a uh, new project called Speeda Edge, which is a subsidiary of a Japanese company called. Use a base. Uh, there's a lot of uh, complexity and stuff to the uh, structure and, and and stuff that we're not going to get into, at least not right here. Uh, that might be for a follow up episode sometime down the road. But uh, suffice it to say that uh, I am back in the writing things on the internet game. Uh, whether or not you want to call it news is up to you. Uh, I guess I'm. Uh, I'm a dealer of proprietary insights and market intelligence, I guess, which sounds much more fancy than what I actually do day to day. Um, in addition to that, I do a little bit of volunteer work and uh, uh, I'm now, Graham, free to help some of my startup friends do stuff to accelerate their own, you know, ventures growth, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, Graham, who are you? My name is Graham Peck. I'm a venture partner with St. Louis-based VC Cultivation Capital. We invest in our technology team, of which I'm a partner, uh, invests in seed and series A stage B2B SaaS companies. Um, In addition to that, uh, I am an angel investor on behalf of myself and my family, as well as a partner in a couple of other small technology ventures that include a technology recruiting and staffing firm, a custom software and website design and development firm, uh, and a cybersecurity platform that helps people measure and monitor compliance with their own or outside uh, policy sets of different ITIS frameworks. Graham, you, you and I are definitely going to have to uh, talk about the uh, development work project uh, or component of, of what you do um, after we record, because uh, I got a fun project cooking. But uh, absolutely, yeah. But um, speaking of uh, speaking of fun projects and startups and stuff, Graham, where to start? Maybe we should start with the question of what is not a startup. Ooh, that's a good question. Because I think one of the easy ways to define, or one of the easy potential ways to define what a startup is, is by defining what it isn't. 
I think one of the easy things, you know, or a couple of the easy ones I'll take, and then I'll throw it back to you for, for some additional thoughts. Obviously a startup is probably not most, if not all like really big businesses. Now a big business in some ways can act like a startup and we may go down that rabbit hole at some point later during this episode or may have an internal startup team, but like a really big business that's been around for like a really long time in general, I would think is not considered a startup. I don't know if there's a specific size. Some businesses like Amazon considered itself a startup for a long, long, long time. And they're one of the biggest businesses in the world, but I think they finally moved out of that mode. So I don't know if there's a specific headcount threshold that you've heard of, but uh, just being generally big and probably publicly traded in most cases disqualifies somebody as being a startup, in my opinion. But I think it also has to do with like what their growth aspirations are. So I would say there are a lot of small businesses that may intend to grow, but also don't have astronomical growth intentions uh, in a reasonably short period of time. And I would take those small businesses out too, whether they were just started or not. Yeah, because so like those would be the easy things that I would carve out on both the big and small end. Right. So on the small end of things, like all businesses start out small, right? Like Amazon started small, Apple Computer started small, Facebook started small, Uber started small. Like pick your pick your uh, example. Every single one of those businesses started very small. Even things that we might not consider like, you know, technically interesting, fancy smancy, you know, uh, high-flying companies today like, uh, you know, I don't know, a General Electric or whatever. Like they started somewhere and they probably started small too. What to me at least differentiates a startup from a small business is where where that growth plateaus. So, you know, Graham, you know, I know that that in the past of, you know, you and I recording the show, we've talked a little bit about the fact that um, you know, we're we're privileged in the respect that our respective families have started businesses and uh, and continue to operate businesses today of varying scales. But like I will I'll cite I'll cite like my mom's business, you know, she runs a physical therapy practice here in Chicago and they've capped out at a certain number of employees and a certain number of patients and they've been operating for one year longer than I've been alive. I would consider my mom a very successful small business owner and she definitely went through that startup phase in the first yeah, few through a years phase of, her practice. of startup. But yep. Today, would I, you know, would would she refer to what she's doing as a startup? No, uh, she would refer to what she's doing as a really successful small business. So, I think that there's definitely that that like infinite or potentially infinite growth component to the definition of a startup. Um, as far as what happens on the on the very large end of things, you know, there's definitely such things as like internal entrepreneurship teams or corporate venturing teams and not necessarily just like investing in startups, but like, you know, little entrepreneurial groups that emerge within companies to start something new. Um, You know, I think that we can think of a couple of examples of new initiatives from large, for example, consumer packaged good companies like 
um, mm-hmm. you know, PG&E to like start a laundry cleaning business or a um, some sort of a spin-out uh, project that does, uh, I don't know, you know, housekeeping. I, I don't know. Like, like those things and, exist. And big companies are probably the birthplace of a lot of startups, well, right? Well, insofar because as... Because people may meet at that company and think of a better way, right? One of the inherent criteria I think that you the, that you identified in some of the pre-show notes um, is a startup to trying to be dis- disruptive in some way. Right. So I definitely agree with that as a criteria. And you might be at a big company and think it doesn't do something effectively and decide that that's the impetus to start a completely separate company, well, possibly with people you'd already know. Well, and that, that, that actually goes company. that actually goes back as far as like the original foundation of what we call Silicon Valley today, right? There were mm-hmm. a, a group of eight folks, you know, that are canonically referred to as like quote unquote the traitorous eight that all left, you know, what was it? Shockley semiconductor to go found Fairchild. Right. And then all the and then respectively the alumni of Fairchild went on to, you know, either respectively found some of the very earliest venture capital firms that you know built Silicon Valley from a, you know, county of orange orchards to, you know, whatever it is today, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, to, you know, going to go start Intel and, and a bunch of other, like, you know, crazy, crazy ventures, right? So, yeah, big companies that attract... Or a breeding talent. ground for startups. Yeah, because people, people get frustrated about, you know, the, the, the status quo, and they say there has to be a better way, or there's more upside for me and my team to go out and start something new, uh, rather than you know continue to work within the pre-established framework that we're all currently working in at this at this venture, and then they go out and and start their own thing. Like that is a fertile breeding ground for startups. However, is it fair to call Amazon as it exists today a startup? Maybe. Well, maybe. It's a company that continues to. It's a Amazon is a ridiculously entrepreneurial company, and there are yeah they continue to innovate at a higher level than a lot of companies do, and they've done they've continued to do so even as they have exceeded the size at which most companies lose that entrepreneurial drive. Maybe right. And I was also going to make a a very snide and and you know mean spirited joke and say that. You know, at least from a financial reporting standpoint, um, Amazon's uh, profit and loss statements have also mimicked a startup, but only insofar as the company has not necessarily, at least up until recently, turned a profit because basically everything that they'd made was reinvested back into growth. But even in even like big companies, right? You know, take a company like Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google and and a bunch of other you know subsidiary entities. You know, even within Alphabet, there is this group called, you know, X, right? Formerly known as Google X. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're an incubator for internal startups that are working on really mm-hmm. wacky stuff. And so. Like contact so- lenses that can detect your blood sugar levels and have a light that turns on and tell you you need to take more insulin or 
Yeah. Whatever yeah, the that, opposite of that, that is, new, I don't know. Or that new like industrial robotics company that was just announced uh, this week at time of recording, which is uh, July 27th uh, in the year of our Lord, 2021. Like, <laughs> like, you know, which the name of which I can't remember. But like, yeah, those are those are internal startups that are funded in part by a larger corporation, right? And there can also be entrepreneurial or startup endeavors in smaller companies too. And you know, I'll not to toot my own horn at all, but like I would consider, you know, launching helping to launch Crunchbase News within the broader Crunchbase organization. Sure. That was a that was an internal entrepreneur, highly entrepreneurial team that was starting something up that ultimately, you know, without giving away too much of the uh, secret sauce, you know, ultimately ended up redounding in tremendous benefit for Crunchbase, you know, for, for the corporate sponsor of, of Crunchbase News. Mm-hmm. But is it fair to call that a startup? And my answer is no, because like in most cases, especially when these like internal, cor- you know, internal startups or, or entrepreneurial ventures, which is a phrase that I really hate because entrepreneurship is a long enough word enough to make it entrepreneurship <laughs> is even worse. But like these entrepreneurial ventures are ultimately in service of building the top and bottom line of an already established business, oftentimes without the you know, outsized financial outcomes for folks that took the greatest level of risk at the earliest stage of that venture, right? Because if you're starting a company right. within GE or you're starting a company within Google or whatever, like you already have your salary, right? You already are having right. your. They're also not taking as much risk exactly, as the people right? who started Google or GE or almost any other company we would define as a startup today because those people had. In most cases, no assurances that their salary would continue to be paid unless they built a business to a level that at least eventually it, um, you know, it, it it necessitated paying or or it afforded the opportunity to pay that salary. Right, but like, do you think that you know the team that originally quote unquote founded Amazon Web Services are you know collectively at least amongst the quote-unquote, founders of that team, do you think that they're 30%, 40%, even 20% or 10% stakeholders? In the Probably ridic- not even close. Correct. And so that's where I think that that, that line also, also exists, is between, like, well, who benefits, right? Is it founders or is it an existing company? And, and to me, like, the startup definition in my own personal headcanon, is one that disproportionately rewards the people that took the risk up front to turn that thing from nothing into something, whatever that means. Um, more, than, more than any other definitions of, like, does it use technology? Do, you know, does it use, uh, does it, uh, you know, achieve something that is, you know, either in, you know, way, way higher scale, more scalable or way more profitable or way more affordable or some way disruptive to, to something else. No, the thing that to me defines a startup is that outsized benefit to the folks that were er- involved earliest in that formation and growth of that business from, from nothing to something. And, 
I, I have what I think may be another good question to to jump off onto next. But do you want to add anything to small companies that aren't expected to grow at a very high rate and big companies and their internal intrapreneurship teams to the definition of what is not a startup? No, I don't. I don't think I have anything to add. I mean, like we do have a bunch of uh, people who are probably much smarter than us uh, who've also opined on their definitions of startups, uh, and then I, you know, we also have a couple of uh, characteristics that that define a startup as as distinct from a small business. Um, you know, innovation, risk, scale, and speed, which I'm happy to talk about more. But um, unless you want to talk more about innovation. Risk, scale, or speed. I'm also happy to uh, uh, field field the other question that you asked. Well, uh, it was actually along those lines, and I do think we should read some of these other uh, I- industry luminaries' uh, quotes about what a startup is. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about is scale. You know, I think there are a lot of companies of varying sizes that may, in one of the characteristics that may not have to be present, because obviously there are startups that can probably be profitable at a single employee. But one of the things that I wanted to dig into a little bit more, because it is a very common trait of a lot of startups, is that they are not profitable below some level of scale. And obviously that's true in a lot of businesses, right? Like an airline, for example, maybe nothing to do with a startup. Um, Certainly you could have a startup airline, but um, you could probably not profitably run an airline today if you had one plane. Like that is a business model. If you were going to get into it in a big way, certainly there are people who do, but if you wanted to start a mainstream airline, you'd have to have substantial capital to have enough scale to be able to compete against some really big companies, have a large number of planes, a large number of employees, contracts with the FAA and with other airports, and there would be complex operation you would have to set up. Um, Again, and I'm not talking about a business that buys one plane and uses it to charter people, even if they eventually have aspirations of growing to two. I'm saying if you want to have a commercial airline with, you know, many tens or hundreds of planes, it is unlikely you can do that at the scale of one plane. But I think a common theme for a lot of startups is the same type of theory that many of them need to achieve a certain level of scale before their business models um, end up making financial sense. But they do above some threshold, right? I think, you know, one might argue that Uber has thus far never hit that, that level, but they claim it will still work at a higher level. Our favorite whipping boy on this podcast, WeWork, claimed they previously um, that they just needed to get to a higher level of occupancy and then they would achieve the higher level of consciousness or whatever they were trying to deliver. <laughs> right. But eventually be profitable. Sure. So I think like I think I think that the thing that you mentioned at the very start of your remark is is really is really prescient, right? Like is a one person entity is a one person venture a startup? And my take is to say no. And here's why. Like, but it, but I, can I think, think it could be. 
No, I don't. I you don't meet think, these other criteria. I don't think so because at the because at the end of the day, like like I would consider I would personally, and maybe I'm wrong, right? But this is my personal opinion. I'm not you know claiming authority or whatever. My personal opinion is that you know a solo operator is going through like the startup. You know they have they go through the startup phase of building a business from nothing to something, but is the business that they are running necessarily what we might consider a startup from the perspective of, you know, what what we might call, you know, from what we what we'd call a startup in the media or, or something like that? My answer is probably not, and I can think of a couple of examples. So, um, Graham, I, we've never talked about the fact that, you know, at least on this podcast, that I am a terminal stage four addict of the reddit.com website and related service, right? And Reddit has recently totally demolished the usability of its iOS apps for both, you know, iPhone and iPad, you know, because of various design and technical choices they've made around like their video and GIF and all the other uh, players that they have. So I went and I, I started paying for uh, a, an app called Apollo. And Apollo is, a, is an app that's designed by one person. Um, and I'm sorry I don't have their name in front of me, and obviously this is not an endorsement of Apollo, but you know I use it, and it's, at least in my personal opinion, it's, it's a superior Reddit client at this time to the Reddit client that Reddit itself releases. So... Is Apollo a a startup? At least in my opinion, not really. It's a very it's a fabulous small business, and it might in fact give startup like returns to its founder. But today, would I call it a startup? No, because I think it's also inherently limited to you know the scale that that you know that is afforded to it by being a ride along service on top of a you know, on top of another company's, you know, APIs. Similarly, is... That's is, a good point. I, I guess my thinking was, what if that one person, uh, I mean, every company starts with one or a very small group of people sitting around a, a table or in a garage or whatever at some point in time. I think that that company could have aspirations to grow much beyond that, could have a plan to launch its own platform, which would be innovation. It would obviously take risk to do that. Um, it would probably need more than one human being working for it to achieve that scale. And it may have plans to do so quickly, which addresses the four key criteria of innovation. Innovation, risk, scale, and speed, which I don't think are the only criteria, but are the four that you know uh, that that we said we would talk about. But it's the innovation. So I guess that's why I was saying that one person could have a plan to become a startup. But it's they the could just be the first guy or gal sitting around the table when it happened. It's that innovation part. Sorry, I I've sorry sorry listeners, uh, I've <laughs> I interrupted like three times there. But no, it's that innovation part that's that to me at least is the most important. And innovation. In at least for for me personally, when it comes to w- what we're talking about, which is you know, well, what is the definition of a startup versus not a startup? Um, that innovation is not just like, oh wow, we're we're improving the the utility or usability of something that already exists. 
innovation to me is like you're going out there and you're trying something that is, if not brand new, it's at least new. And yeah, I think that makes sense. And maybe to jump in and read the first one of the quotes, because I think there's at least one that's that's very, very much like that uh, or very much about that kind of thing. Um, so there, so we'll read more of these later, yes, but uh, there are a series of different people's quotes. And one is properly defined, a startup is the largest group of people you convince of a plan to build a different future. A new company's most important strength is new thinking, even more important than nimbleness, small size, affords space to think. And that's from Peter Thiel in the book Zero to One. Um, and I think of that quote in talking about that. And I agree that maybe that specific project may not be um, inherently innovative, but again, it doesn't mean, in my opinion, that that, that, that organization couldn't be entrepreneurial in their in other endeavors, even if it started as one person. I think I guess that's my opinion. Well, anyway. this might be a follow-up topic for a different episode. But what is you know the difference between well, what is having an entrepreneurial mindset versus operating a startup or growing a startup? Because I think that there's plenty of entrepreneurial people within big companies, but I also don't think that people working in big companies are necessarily working for startups but that we can solve for we can we can address for for a later you know something later a later but, time but like you know like there's this there's there's i don't know i mean so like we've talked about you know whether whether or not a startup is necessarily something new i think that there's also the element of speed right and so like you know paul graham who uh, previously founded a company called ViaWeb, which is largely recognized as one of the earliest, if not the earliest, um, sort of software as a service companies in that it uh, operated uh, client software that uh, called uh, information and operated on information um, that was hosted and processed on a server elsewhere. Uh, ViaWeb was later sold to Yahoo for uh, you know some, some, some quantity of money that I don't recall um, and don't have in front of me. You know, so Paul Graham, who, you know, also later founded Y Combinator, which, you know, many recognize as a quote unquote, like the Harvard of startup, uh, startup accelerators or whatever. You know, he says that like a startup is a company designed to grow fast. And I think while that's a, it's a very simple and, and, and in its simplicity, perhaps limited definition, but I also think that it really hits on something that's, um, that is, uh, you know, really foundational to what startups are, which is that like, you know, yeah, you're 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 building something that's risky, but you're you're also trying to build something that will grow incredibly quickly. And and part of that is an artifact of the life cycle of the folks who back these companies, right? Like a venture. Oh, sure. And and we've obviously talked a lot on the show in the past about the way that venture capital funds work. And I think that at least part of what you're referring to, Jason, is that that uh, a fund has a defined end to its life, although there's some different mechanics that can be used to extend those end of fund lives. But the fund expects that the company will have either flamed out or returned capital before a pretty re, pretty near period of time that's usually 10 years or so. Again, putting aside complexities around extension of fund life, and they might not invest in that company for the first two or three years. So 
it might be expected that your company has either flamed out or exited within about a seven to 10 year period of time right. at, at most. Right. So, you know, I think, I think that that's, that that is an under, that the speed component and, and specifically that pressure to grow as quickly as possible is also a necessary component of the definition of what, well, what is a startup? The urgent, I, I think maybe the word there is urgency. Urgency. Right? Yeah. yeah. Urgency to grow. Yeah, I agree. Right. Cause it's, cause, cause also, you know, the way to also think about urgency when it comes to growth is that oftentimes startups are exploiting a brand new market opportunity that, that, that has only recently presented itself. Right. And that can either come from the emergence or, or uh, of like a, a brand new or an enabling technology. So for example, you know, if Uber didn't take advantage of the fact that iPhones came with a better GPS system and an API that, you know, outside developers can call on mm-hmm. the GPS system. If Uber Technologies Incorporated didn't didn't take advantage of that, some other company would have. Somebody else would have. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, in Well, s- in fact, a lot of other companies do just for different purposes. Yeah, no, well, a- and some like Lyft for the same purpose. Sure. But, but yeah. Like, but in service of in 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 service of like building in service of of growing a pie, a a big pie, a big capitalist pie around a new and an and enabling technology and thus building a market around that um it yeah like it it takes it it's you know because because technology and, and software in particular is so often like a winner take all sort of a sort of a market dynamic like there is that urgency to grow and if you don't have that urgency mm-hmm. to grow you're going to be left behind and that either means failure because you're going to be obscure and nobody's going to go buy your stuff, or it means that you know, in a in a very optimistic case, it means that you basically turn into a small business. Which, for the record, there's no shame in being a small business at all. Um, but yeah, it's it's either like you know, scale or perish. Yeah, and so what do you think about a point at which someone has to, you know, they're, they're break even, like, and not achieving that? So, again, talking some about scale and being able to get in the speed or with that sense of urgency to a scale at which break even makes sense. Do you think that that's a defining criteria of every startup? I guess maybe going back to kind of to my earlier question. I mean, it's a complicated question to answer because, on the one hand, we talk about you know, when we talk about scale, you know, maybe this is just the fact that I've been, you know, so by dint of, you know, being a venture capital reporter and data analyst for such a long time, you know, oftentimes like, you know, this question of scale is is part and parcel with this phrase like, is it is it venture scale, right? Is this opportunity something mm-hmm. that can yield a business that is, you know, I think maybe even at this point, being a billion dollar, being a you know one of these unicorn companies, even that might be passe, right? Like, oh, can you grow a business from nothing to not just a billion dollars, but can you be a can you be a, a ten billion dollar company, you know, in in the course of you know twelve years or something like that? Um, 
so there, there is that, you know, there, there is that component, right? Like, oh, are you able to build a, a, a business that, that justifies a valuation of a billion dollars or more? Potentially, right? And that, that has all to do with, you know, oh, are you going after a sufficiently large market? Do you have a, a sufficiently differentiated product that is um, competitively advantageous uh, relative to all the other entrants into that market, et cetera, et cetera? Um, but like as far as as far as you know scale goes, when you take away that financial component, right? When you when you remove the VC lens from this, I, I still think that 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 scale is scale is important um, because it's mm-hmm. right. Like, I mean, well, and certainly yeah. making a business that's eventually fundamentally sound, right? I mean, assuming that you don't have access to public markets and that unlike what we discussed about Amazon recently um, on the assumption that um, that your investors won't invest more as long as you keep redeploying capital into the business to the scale that Amazon has, you eventually need to have a plan and a, a, a scale at which you can arrive at 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 least break even, but hopefully profitability. And, you know, I think startups often think about what their runway is at any given moment, which is how much capital because of the people and the other things that they're trying, like sales and marketing initiatives are being spent within a month. And then how much cash is in the bank or committed through other investment vehicles. And you're able to calculate the amount of time you can stay in business until you either raise more money or, increase your, you know, profit of operations enough to at least break even profitability of your operations. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a super critical component. Uh, I don't know that there's any definition in my head that the scale has to be a certain level for it to be considered a startup. Um, But I, I agree with you that I think that Different venture capital firms have different targets of what they like to see as what what's called a TAM or total addressable market that that company is going after. And most of those would like to see a path for those companies to be at least many hundreds of millions of dollars. But yeah, I agree that that the answer, unfortunately, now is probably at least one, if not several billion dollars of uh, of market potential. Well, let's, let's so say, I think that that may be another common criteria of startups is that you're going after a sufficiently large enough um, ocean or swimming pool of of opportunity. Yeah. So I so think we that, talked about size, but I think size of opportunity you're chasing, um, which may be hard to define in some cases because inherently you may be going after a new a new business model that hadn't historically existed. Sure. So I think that like I think that there's a couple of really easy examples of of companies that I think might still be considered startups, you know, also by dint of the fact that they're growing, you know, really rapidly. Um at least in one case even of a company that is currently publicly traded. So the one that's not publicly traded that I would cite as well, it's not me citing it. Everybody cites Stripe, the payments company, as like a paragon of you know the the startup mm-hmm. you know the startup uh, ecosystem as it currently exists today. You know, last valued at approximately ninety five billion dollars in its last funding round. You know, this you know Stripe has the ability. It's it's addressable market is all payments on the internet. Right. That is a major. right, which is the vast majority of payments these days, in one way, shape, or form. Well, I mean, every well, all okay, non-cash payments, all non-cash payments 
are conducted via a network, whether or not they're the internet is internet, on, sure, whatever. But like, but like, basically, sure. you know, consumer business of business, yada yada. Anything that's that's done where somebody enters a credit card or whatever is potentially Stripe's market, right? And that's enormous. And so wonder what the size of that is in total. Huge. It's got to be huge. Huge. I mean, trillions of dollars. Huge. Annually. I'm not an expert, but huge. Um, so, like, they're going after they're going after a huge market. Um, and and similarly, you know, show, so is uh, so is a company like Shopify, right? Even though Shopify is a publicly traded company, uh, and they've you know they're they're not uh, they're not uh, young by any by any means. Like they've been around for a long time. Like what what is the market that they're going after? They're going they're they're one. They're trying to eat Amazon's lunch in terms of you know mm-hmm. internet enabled e commerce. Well, sorry, all e commerce is internet enabled. So you know, apologies for the for the tautology there, but like. You know, so they're they're going after Amazon's lunch, but they're also going after the possibility of being, you know, the platform of choice for all e-commerce, right? And so, so I, I think that the the thing that I wanted to end with, because Graham, you and I have both said, currently recording at forty minutes and thirty four seconds or whatever, that oh, that we would have screwed up if we've gone over forty minutes. My last thing that I want to ask you, from your opinion, and again. With citation of the fact that this is probably going to be a long and continuous thread within the uh, the 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 you know future of fully vested is is the is the Peter Thiel introduced component of monopoly power or monopoly potential also a necessary component of the definition of startups. In other words, can you Ooh. be a startup if you are also not in a position or in a market where monopoly power is achievable? Taking away all the whole like, you know, antitrust and, you know, regulatory Sure, shit, all the legal like, challenges to yeah. arriving there if you if you did. Um, that's a really good question. I don't know that I inherently think that um that a startup has to be able to achieve monopoly status. Although the way many, many pitch decks start is by saying something like, look, there's this huge market opportunity. If only I can get one or 2%, then we'll be set and we'll have a big business. And that drives me nuts unless they then answer that question starting at zero and showing how they're going to become a one to 2% player in that big market. But that's somewhat of a separate thing that I think we railed against in our episode about how to correctly construct pitch decks. Or if not, we should do an episode of just such a oh just such an ilk. Oh, Graham, that's, um, yeah, we have to do d- that does For something to be a startup, does it necessarily have to at least have the opportunity to be a monopoly? Ooh, that's a tough question. I mean, we can we can also we can also just say like, I don't know, I don't know, and I think I'm going to leave it at that. That's a valid, yeah. Yeah. That is a that is a possible future for many startups, but I don't know if something has to have that quality if they are to be considered a startup. So I'm, I'm just going to punt on that one. Although I would say we are also going to include, since we've now gone longer than we should have, uh, we're going to include at least six other famous people's definitions of what a startup is in our show notes. Mm. Definitely read those, even if you don't normally. Okay. 
So a startup doesn't have to be a monopoly, although we don't know. And I think that that is... Yeah, do you, do you think that a startup, by definition, has to at least have monopoly possibility to be considered a startup? Do you believe Ooh. that that's inherently part of the definition? Well, we can close with me asking you the same question. God, Graham, now the tables have turned. The typical interviewer <laughs> has now become the interviewee. Mm. Mm. My answer is, in short, no. I don't believe that aspiring to be a monopoly within your sector is necessary to being considered to, to, to is necessary to our definition of what is versus what is not a startup. That said, I do believe that a company, in order to be considered a startup, should at least be aspiring to, if not monopoly, then monopsony power, right? To be ultimately one of a small handful of key suppliers Mm -hmm. to a market. So I can, I'll give an example here, right? Like, is Beyond Meat, you know, the, the vegetarian, you know, the, the plant-based mm-hmm. meat company, you know, yeah, they're publicly traded, yada, yada, uh, you know, taking that aside. Are they ever going to be the monopoly supplier of plant-based meat? Of course not. That said, right. they're a company that grew from nothing into something to take advantage of a market opportunity that, had only at that point recently availed itself, which is, oh my gosh, there's a demand for you know non you know non animal non animal based you know meat like meat, products yeah meat like products that's an upgrade from you know the status quo, which as a kid who grew up eating like Boca burgers you know on on you know Thursdays or whatever like whatever um, like yeah. They they took advantage of of an interesting market opportunity using a set of technologies that they developed, right? You know the, um, you know the way that they process the pea protein and all that good stuff uh, to ultimately become a major player, you know, if not necessarily the majority player in the plant based meat market today, and. They have mm-hmm. successfully earned, and they them. did so very quickly. Right, they did so enormously quickly. You know, they did so in a way that that redounds, you know, to to their to their benefit and to their investors' benefit and all their stakeholders' benefits. I guess ultimately to the planet's benefits because meat is terrible for the planet in a lot of ways. Um, and and yeah, but like, are they necessarily ever? They're not going to be a monopoly. But they were definitely a yeah. startup in the in the plant based meat space. So, so Graham, in order to conclude, it sounds like you and I, surprise, surprise, have failed to come up with the canonical definition of what is or what is not a startup. However, I think that what we've also succeeded in doing is 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 shaping a blob of a definition. That, that I think so that we're sad that we that we're not maybe satisfied with, but it's a blot. Graham, I guess what we can say here is that there's there's a lot of room, there's a lot of ways that we can polish this turd into something shiny. But 
we have a nice and, we have we have a nice little turd to polish. As far yes, as and and go. you know, I guess th- this is what I was referring to at the beginning of the episode when I said I think there's a short way to to say this, and you actually said this the other day as we were preparing for this episode. And I think a simple way to define what is and isn't a startup is very much the same way that the Supreme Court defines what is and what is not pornography. Which you know, or asks specifically, maybe what's the difference between pornography and art? You know, the Supreme Court basically said. I can't really define it, but I know it when I see it. And I think you kind of know in a lot of cases what is a startup and what isn't a startup when you look at them. Graham, I think that's about as good as a uh, way to end this. Uh, I guess that's the final nail in the coffin for today. For today. <laughs>